Genesis. The word Genesis literally means in the beginning. That's kind of what we talked about a little bit last week, and we're going to finish up uh, today with the, only the two weeks that Justin gave me. Last week, we, we talked about a lot, and we talked about creation, and we talked about the big picture of God, the small big picture, small picture of God, but hopefully, and my prayer, honestly, through that talk wasn't that you walked away with some cool knowledge. It was that, man, that hunger would stir up in you to go and study the hunger in you would stir up to go get into the Bible, read it, and it's not just a checklist. It's not just something your parents told you you have to do. It's not just something that to be a good Christian you do, but you actually have a hunger to learn about this giant God that created everything. Today we're going to be looking at Genesis 3. And probably most of you immediately thought in your head the fall. Like, that is what the story is about. We're going to walk through some stuff. I'm, I'm not going to go through every single detail, but I'm going to point out some stuff. But we're just going to walk through this passage in Genesis 3. If you have a Bible, go ahead, open it up. Go right there. I, I encourage you to read along. I'm going to read from my notes today because it's just so much easier than trying to balance uh, a, a Bible. But Genesis 3 kind of tells us in a blunt way, why this world, in, in a lot of ways, is, sucks. There's a lot of hurt. Why this world has pain, frustration, mistakes, jealousy, shame. Why we experience death and, and everything that comes with that experience and how horrible it is. It is a book that answers another life's biggest question. Why does bad things happen? Why, why if, if God is perfect, why, why do bad things happen in, in this world? It, it's a great picture. And so some, what, the goal of today is to kind of slow down over this passage a little bit, hopefully point out some things, and then ultimately relate it into your life. Genesis 3 starts off right after creation. Genesis 2, God, you know, is defining marriage within Genesis 2 and then goes, boom, right into Genesis 3. And we see the fall. And it kind of starts right away. We don't know the time period. We don't know the gap. We, we, like, but I do have to assume it was pretty quick because there was no really other stories within that. Genesis 3 starts off right in verse 1. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. There's a lot going on within these first passages. First of all, we knew God, we knew Adam, we knew Eve. We just got introduced to a new person, a new character. And that person is the serpent. Now, you might like, okay, Joe, it's, it's you know, Satan, Lucifer, devil. Like, we know the serpent, but sometimes it's healthy just to sit on it for a little bit. Because one of the most important things we talked about last week is how, how healthy it is, especially when we approach 
scripture is to ask questions. Sometimes we even know the answers to it, but it causes our brain to have a different picture. It causes our brain to get a new perspective. Like just think about these four or three verses in the, in the beginning. If we slow down, we begin to ask questions like, who is the serpent? What does this serpent look like? Like, because I would imagine everybody in this room is having different pictures. Does Adam and Eve know about Satan? Do they, do they know that Satan exists yet? Does Adam and Eve know the serpent is evil? Where is Adam in this conversation? Can snakes talk, right? How is the snake talking? Does Satan just in general look like a snake? Where is God? Some of these have answers. Some of these definitely have answers, and then some of them don't, and some of them we, we might not ever have answers uh, to on this side of eternity. But it's healthy for us to just reflect and think about some of these questions because it begins to paint a picture in our mind. And this, we don't just do this with Genesis 3. That's, that's the point. We're, we're, we're expanding this throughout the whole Bible. It's just giving you critical thinking. The serpent, this almost picture of a dragon. Was it a dragon? Was it what a modern-day snake looks like, like a giant python, which we tend to see like shown in children book, children's books? Like, obviously, if you know a little bit further, you know, it, it's it's cursed to, to move on its belly for the rest of its life, but what, what did it look like? I mean, it's even fun because ultimately when we start to ask those questions, we don't just ask, we, we go and we seek out answers. We see, uh, if you want to write down, and I'm not going to read it, but Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 19, it's talking about the king of Tyre, but it's also relating to Satan, this descriptive kind of prophecy of what Satan looked like. I remember when I was in high school, I was a, a sophomore, and my friends wanted to debate me, like, because they were atheists, like, blatant atheists, and I was a Christian, and they were like, you believe in a snake talking? Like, no, like, you, you prove, prove me a snake could talk, and I'm, like, sitting there as a, as a sophomore, junior in high school, not knowing how to respond to that, but definitely as I got older, it was one of those questions, like, okay, do snakes talk? Like, how, can, devil, can the devil go into animals? Like, how, how is that thinking? I mean, then we go back to Scripture, and we see in Luke 8, uh, 8 33, uh, where the demons came out of the man, and they were sent in the pig. So it's like, okay, there's other Scripture to back this up. Like, this is kind uh, of logical. It's like, that's the importance of knowing our Bible and kind of cross-referencing all this stuff. And so we see in this first passage, a serpent comes to Eve and starts talking. Now, I hate snakes, right? Um, totally negative view. So even probably most of us in this room, unless you have a, a pet snake or you're in the house of Slytherin, Harry Potter reference, right? You probably hate snakes. But did they? Did they hate snakes? Here, here's the thing. Adam just got done talking and naming, all, seeing the animals, like we read that in chapter 2 of Genesis, and then we see Satan do something very interesting. Satan comes as something they're familiar with. 
Like snakes to us, terrifying, right? But to them, they're so brand new to the creation. It comes, comes as something to familiar with. Like, think about that, how that relates to your life. That's like a whole sermon on its own. But as you're reading Genesis 3, that should cut you to the core and cause you to reflect on some things in your own life that maybe Satan has come and and tempted you with or you have fallen into temptation with as things that are familiar to you or might have seen as good. And then he comes and he asks the question, did God really say you must not eat from any tree into in the garden. Now, Satan comes after Eve, because Eve is weaker, right? No, uh, that wasn't a funny joke. But he comes after Eve because we see in Genesis 2, before Eve was formed, Adam was given the command. And so I kind of believe, and, and I have to imagine and even question, like, why, why Eve? Well, when the, when the command for the garden, Eve wasn't there. It was given to Adam. And so Satan, the, the serpent, comes to Eve. And then here's another interesting thing. When you go back and you actually read the command, it's in Genesis 2, verses 16 to 17. It says, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Go back to saying, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan takes what God says and he twists it. And he starts to shape and, and steer Eve away and he begins to get Eve to question God. And it's interesting how Eve kind of responds, right? Eve says this in verse 2. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. So she had that point, right? But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. I don't know, maybe if some of you have ever picked up on this, you must not touch it. Did God say that? No. Is this legalism? Is this what the church does sometimes? We add to God's word a little bit? Did Adam say, no, Eve, you don't, don't even touch the tree, Eve, like, that, that is how bad it is. Did Adam make it stricter than what it was supposed to be? Sometimes churches do that, right? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but we kind of see the response, and we start to see God's word start to get twisted. We start by both the serpent and even humans, kind of, whether it was Adam or Eve mis- uh, mishearing and interpreting what God actually said. And then Satan says this in verse 4. You will, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's like, no, you're, you're not going to die. Not yet. But he's probably like, you're not going to die. And he blatantly lies. I mean, the father of all lies ultimately comes out right here in the first interaction that we see with him. And we hear about this thing called death. And it's the introducing of it. Um, 
And it's kind of, you know, I would have to assume that Adam and, and Eve at least knew of the concept of death. I don't think everything was around that often, but they understood uh, what death was, and, and I don't believe death was on the earth at that point. I mean, it's blatantly said in Romans 6.23. So Satan approaches Eve. Satan makes Eve questions God's commands and even God's consequences. Think about that. Think about how that story could replace your stories when you have fallen short of the glory of God. It's usually the same pattern. I don't know if God really meant this, or I don't think this is really going to happen. We do the exact same thing. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. This one's always interesting. You see, Eve being the one to eat it and then Adam doing it almost immediately after because he was with her. Adam and Eve both saw the food as, as pleasing and attractive, something good, and then they saw it for their benefit. They saw it as something that even though God commanded them to not eat it, they let themselves either talk themselves into eating it or did not believe the consequences. Ultimately, they believed the lie that Satan spoke. We, we learn about the, the major theme, the major doctrine. You see, most Genesis 1 through 12, if you want to keep going after the series, Genesis 1 through 12 is going to hit every major doctrine within the Bible. It's going to hit every major doctrine. And so it's one of the most crucial sections of the Bible to study because it's creating the framework for what us, for what us to believe. And, it's, and within this passage... It's creating the framework in the doctrine of sin. It's creating the framework in the doctrine of good and evil. Another question that kind of sparks me is, did they know good and evil? Did they know and comprehend uh, what good and evil was? They knew what obeying and disobeying was. Because I, I think they knew the concept of good and evil. The, the law giver gave a law and they didn't listen. There was some type of concept of, of right and wrong. They questioned and believed the lies that were told to them. They sought out that they knew better, that, that they knew better, and they thought that their way was ultimately better than God's way. You see, most, most sins, and I would even debate all sins, have the root of pride. Pride is basically elevating ourselves above God. That our judgment, that our, our, our thought process is at a higher level than God. Saying, I am able to determine, to determine right and wrong. I mean, you go back to the first, uh, first day, God created the universe and he had the laws and he put the order and he put the absolute truth in the place and then people come in 
And they say, no, I don't like it that way. I mean, that's how we see a lot of the world operating today, right? And then we hear about this tree, the wisdom, uh, the good and evil. Uh, and we hear about this tree. And, and if you want to dive into this, I, just, I recommend just going like, what is this tree? What did this tree like literally represent? Why? I, I love this question. Why did God create the tree if he knew that we were going to eat from it, or if he knew people had the opportunity to just destroy his creation. You see, that tree represented freedom. The tree was the same reason Satan fell. The tree represented a choice. The, trees in some, the tree in some way represented love. The Bible tells us plainly that God is love, and true love requires a choice. Otherwise, we'd be all robots just worshiping God, right? We're demanded to worship him. And that's not the way love operates. Love always requires a choice. Verse number seven. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves, figs uh, together and made coverings for themselves. They knew they were naked. They felt the shame. This next verse in, in verse 8, honestly, is one of, in my opinions, one of the most emotional verses. It says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? It's this picture, and I have to believe this is Jesus walking through his creation, walking through his garden in the cool of the day. Now, I don't know about you, but I go, me and my wife love to walk, right? We do not go at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I just, I don't. And so the, the picture being painted here is the proper time, like it's in the morning, it's in the evening, it's the cool of the day, the sun is setting, and, and, and Jesus is walking through his creation, adoring it, looking for Adam and Eve. And because of the shame they felt, because of everything they did, because of the choices that they, met, that they made, they hid. Now, an interesting question is, did Jesus know they knew they ate the tree? You have to believe so, right? The, the, like, they're, they're hiding from Jesus, who obviously knows everything, knows them. In the next part, the Lord God calls to the man, where are you? Jesus calls out to them knowing what took place, knowing they hid, knowing their shame, Jesus still called out to them. If, if that doesn't give you chills, and if, they, if you can't relate that to your own life of being, feeling shame, yet Jesus still walking through the cool of the garden looking for you as you try to cover your shame. Verse 10. Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God comes after Adam. Obviously, he knows all the answers. Obviously, he, he, he knows everything that has taken place, and he's confronting Adam. And Adam does something interesting. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So you can blame your wife, right? That's, how we, that's what we learned. No. The woman you put here, she, she's the one. And then God says to Eve, then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Like putting the blame again, Adam goes to, to Eve and Eve blames the serpent. And then the Lord comes and he ultimately curses them. But one of the interesting things is, especially in Genesis, you don't really see the first repentance in Genesis until like somewhere around thir- chapter 33. And this, this, this idea of what it looks like to repent in front of the Lord because Adam didn't do it, Eve did, didn't do it, and surely the, and the serpent in no way did it. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, this is kind of the, the poetic way, and he's kind of right, he says, cursed are you above all livestock, talking to the serpent, and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enemy between you and the woman, and between your offsprings and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel the woman he said. Basically saying, I'm always going to create this tension. From generation, from generation, it's going to be there until he's going to crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, a lot of people take that as the cross, ultimately the sacrifice of Jesus and what he was going to do. That ultimately, that Satan, the serpent, would, would be crushed, that he would be over, overcame. And then it says this, I will make, talking to Eve, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labors, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Curses the ground because of you. Through painful toils, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she became the mother of all living things. God is mad. And even as we read some of these curses today, and if you break them down, they exist. They're still alive and well, and we experience it. I specifically read the childbearing one to my wife all the time. Um, no, that's a, that's a joke, because we don't have kids yet. Um, but God is mad. He's basically saying, what did you do? Like, these are the things, the consequences to your actions. The sin took place. The sin happened. You disobeyed. You fell short of the creation of everything 
that I have made, and here is the consequences. We read the curse, we read the promise of death. And then ultimately, we, we read how Satan's going to be dealt with. Uh, he might win some battles, but he's not going to win the war. And that's declared right in the beginning. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You hear this curse. You see, you see the ultimate fall take place. You hear the curse, and, and God's mad. And then here in verse 21, we see mercy. The first kind of sacrifice, the representation of sin, that something died to cover up their sin. Verse 22, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God, the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the ways of the tree of life. Now, I don't know what picture you are kind of seeing in your head uh, to be honest, I don't know everything that is really taking place or exactly how everything looks, especially with a, 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 a flashing sword, a flaming sword. Like, I, I, I don't know everything. But the one thing I do know is that man now knows good and evil. And, and that verse particularly stuck out to me um, because it caused me to question, like, so we know good and evil like God. And I think I read it kind of like that. Like, do I know good and evil like God? Um, but actually, kind of looking into and digging into it deeper, uh, I think God is being a little sarcastic. God's being a little mockery to, to Adam and Eve because that's what Satan said, right? Satan's like, You'll, God knows that you're going to look good and evil. Like, that, that's the exact same phrase. So automatically, you would, you would think of that. But at the same time, they really do know good and evil because of just knowing evil, just knowing of the, the evil existed in the world, they now are going to experience it. They're going to live in it in a physical way. We see chapter 3 lay out some huge portions of, of why we live with sin. We see why the consequences of sin, both heavenly and, and earthly consequences. And then we remember who was reading this. This was going to the Israelites as they're traveling through the desert, as they go into the promised land, and God's saying, listen, I'm, here, here's the laws, here's the ways. And they're kind of building a framework for, for the way to live. And, and he's saying, if you live this way, you could have the garden. You could have the one too. If you live sinful, if you're disobedient, you're going to have three. Like chapter three, you're going to feel the consequences of, of everything that sin brings. 
But one of the main things that we're always going to see throughout the whole book of Genesis, I encourage you to write this down because you can go back and you see this time and time again, is that we always see the sin. We see the sin take place. We see the punishment, the consequences of that sin. And then we see mercy always followed up. Isn't that how God operates? There's new mercies every single day. No matter what you've walked in here with, holding on to, no matter what you did yesterday or this morning or whatever thoughts that you had, there's always mercy and it's always been like that since the beginning. Genesis 3 is the big mess up, right? But it's all wrapped up in mercy. In the midst of the biggest mistake, in the midst of our sin nature, in the midst of pride that we've committed, mercy is always offered. Always offered. That the sins and ultimately being on this side of the New Testament, we can look back and we can be confident that the sin that we committed, now, present, and future, has its punishments and has its consequences. And the heavenly punishment is death. And that's a spiritual death and total separation from God. But knowing ultimately what happens, that the sin that we committed, the sin that we've made, the punishment was fully embraced and taken by Jesus. And the result is mercy and the forgiveness that follows. And only through faith in Jesus does this happen. Otherwise, we kind of go through it ourselves. Jesus takes that punishment portion for us. We become adopted into his family. We put our faith and we trust in what he did so ultimately we can be back to Genesis 1 and 2. There's a lot of interesting things and a lot of stuff that I skipped and uh, there's maybe, you know, but I, I just encourage you, if anything, this isn't a normal talk and it's way out of my element to kind of teach like this. Um, but when you dive in, when you begin to ask questions, that's all it takes to study the Bible. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have Justin or me or whoever else is up here on stage teaching you the Bible. But God lays it out there. It's our job to read it. Because I know for me, I, I get caught up in the same patterns of a checklist, you know, three chapters a day. That's perfect. That's the Bible in a year, about three chapters a day. If I do that, but does God want me to do three chapters a day or does he want me to sit in one chapter maybe or one verse and let him speak it over me and let him speak the truth into me? You guys got a little bit of homework and maybe not even homework, but I just want to leave you off with this. Chapter four. I'm going to leave that off onto you. What happens when sin's at its worst, Right? Cain and Abel, evil is taken over. Evil was chosen. But more importantly than that, chapter 4 is setting you up for the rest of Genesis. Cain and Abel, what happens? Cain kills his brother, or yeah, Cain kills his brother Abel. 
the younger brother does the righteous thing. The older brother doesn't. Oh, sounds familiar. You're going to see that theme throughout the whole book of Genesis. As you ask those questions, as you dive in, as you look up resources online, if you have conversations around small group with people, ultimately, it should draw you to one conclusion, and that is to sit before God in amazement. That's the, that's the purpose of studying Scripture. It's not to get a big head. It's not to, to know it just to know it. It is to be in amazement before God that what he did and what he is doing should just put you in awe. It should just cause you to sit before him, to bow before him, and worship him because he deserves it. And that's, that's ultimately my, my encouragement to you is, one, study Genesis, super important, super foundational. But two, study the Bible just in general. And then ultimately, let that study lead you to amazement before God. Let me pray. Lord, you are good. We just thank you for today. Thank you that we could just come here and worship you, Lord. Um, God, you are good. I pray that you would just continue to reveal to us who you are through scripture, through nature, Lord. And that I pray that we would just all walk out of this room just wanting that little bit more from you, wanting to know who you are in a, in a bigger way. And so, Lord, uh, just bless this morning. Bless the rest of the day for everyone uh, here, and that we would just have a, a great rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.